We're in our series called Living Intentionally. It's about the power of focused living. It's not drifting. It's not the attitude today of, well, whatever. No, no. It's about intentionally directing your life towards a goal. 1 John chapter 3 is our text, verse 11 through verse 18. For this is the message you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. In our culture today, we suck. Would you agree? The most hate-filled culture I've ever lived in and most divisive. God says, don't be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? God said, because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters. If the world hates you, we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or a sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no compassion on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. So, we're going to continue our series, Living Intentionally, and it's about the power of maximizing focus, doing what matters most. If you have a camera that boasts the feature called fixed focus, it means the lens is automatically able to identify and zero in on the subject of the photograph and to make sure that that object is sharper and clearer than other objects that happen to be in the picture. It's amazing cameras can do this. It's even more amazing when a human being decides to live with some focus instead of just drifting. Well, in week one, we talked about the focus of living a one Lord lifestyle. Jesus said, you can't serve two masters. So Jesus is your boss above all others. Last week, we talked about the focus of purpose-filled living. We said life isn't just a meaningless journey, a random experience. We get the power of choice. God's called all of us with some calling to a higher purpose. So if you're ready to reach, ready to fulfill every good purpose of yours and every act prompted by your faith, then God says, I want you to do that. Today we'll talk about what I have said many times before ought to be the characteristic that defines Christianity more than any others, more than anywhere in the world. And that defining characteristic is not knowledge. That's a good thing. It's not a political agenda. It's not a culturally relevant social media presence. The defining characteristic of Christianity for each of us, for our church, is love. I'm just simply going by clear scripture. This is the quality that separates us from everybody else, from every other religion, from every other ideology. We're about love first and foremost. Now, we know that our first love is God above everything else. One time a teacher of the law approached Jesus and he said, 
of all the commandments, what's the most important one? The most important one, Jesus said, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. That's back in Mark chapter 12. Love God with everything you've got. Now, people in church won't argue with that one. We all understand the significance of that standard. You know, where we sometimes drop the ball, well, where we usually always drop the ball, is the follow-up, where Jesus went on to say the second most important commandment is this, love your neighbor as yourself. And then he said, there is no commandment greater than these. That's why Jesus later said, by this all men will know you are my disciples if you love one another. That's in John chapter 13. Now, many times, here's how we do it. We try to make our primary identification something else. As if he said, by this, everybody will know you're my disciple. By the way you vote, by the way you judge, by the way you set people straight on social media, or by your bumper sticker, or by your boycotts, and on and on and on it goes. If you get on social media, you will find more hate, more division, more strife, and more drama than I've ever known in my entire life. We used to, in the old days, back in my day, with Tip O'Neill and Ronald Reagan, a Democrat and a Republican, you could have disagreement. But they would go to dinner, and they would celebrate at a party or a celebration together. You didn't hate, you disagreed, right? It is okay to disagree. It is not legitimate Christianity to hate. And we have Christians that foster that hate. And certainly we have liberals that foster it as well. There are many things that people do in an attempt to signal their virtue to the rest of the world. But it really comes down to this. This is Jesus. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loves is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. So we know we're supposed to love God. I wouldn't get much division on that. We know we're supposed to love others. We'd kind of wink at that. But what we fail to grasp is that we're not talking about two different kinds of love or two different levels of love. Yeah, our love for God is above all else, but the love we demonstrate for others is not a lower grade, decaffeinated kind of a love. It's the same pure, holy, sacrificial love that Jesus expressed to you and me. Some may think God gets the name brand version of our love, you know, Louis Vuitton, <laughs> Chanel, while everybody else gets uh, Kmart Blue Light Special Love, a lower, cheaper grade. Not true. Jesus made it crystal clear that our expression of love for one another reflects the extent of our love for God. That truth is spelled out in the text that we'll look at this morning. If you want to turn in your Bible, 1 John chapter 3. And today we'll talk about living intentionally a life of love, specifically love for one another. And we'll talk about three things that that command, love one another, requires. Here we go. Number one, loving one another requires you open your eyes. By the way, you can have 20-20 sight and no vision. You can have eyesight and not see anything. In fact, Jesus said that the Pharisees who had vision, uh, the ability to see with an eyeball, 
were blind as bats. They were blind leaders of the blind. First of all, this thing means that it requires I open my eyes to non-negotiable nature of love one another commandment. Love one another is not a suggestion. It's not a guideline. It's not a random idea Jesus submitted for our consideration or approval. It is a plain, stated, cut, dried, no two-way about it, direct command. This is what I want you to do. Love one another. John wrote this, verse 11. This is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Well, he's not like me. You should love one another. See, he's referencing the words of Jesus. A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you should love one another. That's a big time love. I mean, the fact that he would love a wretch like me says, now you should love some wretches. And I imagine we have a few in here. And I know we have some watching online. And I ought to love you the same way God loves you. But all of you are cooped up. You've got your Instagram and Facebook crowd. You've got your political team and ideology and speaker in Washington. Each one of you do. And you're cooped into that cocoon that's just pumping poison into you right and left and just obliterating your Christian value of love. It's very seductive and it's very subtle and it kind of sneaks up on you. It does. Now I'll tell you something. You can take it and throw it away if you want. I don't care. Arguing with me will never convert me. You will never convert anybody arguing on Instagram. If I'm selling Snickers and you're selling Hershey, you're not going to buy mine. I've got to become a friend to you first before you'll be open to even consider dialogue. Arguing never convinces anybody to change. It just makes you more aggressive. That's why the Bible says a soft answer turns away wrath. And married people ought to know this when you were dumb and young. You remember, if, if somebody raised their voice, you raised your voice higher, they raised their voice higher, and we got into F5 tornado. God says, you want to control that anger, drop the tone of your voice. Do it on the phone, do it in person. Drop, don't come back at that same level or higher. Drop it lower, make them come down. God gives us some pretty good weapons to use. It took me about 22 years of marriage to figure some of this out, but but better late than never. Now, if your attitude has been, yeah, yeah, Rick, okay, I know we're supposed to love one another in theory, but in practice, it's okay to despise this group or that group because they're such terrible people. Well, then you miss the point because it's never okay to despise one group or another person. This The one another Jesus commands us to love doesn't refer just to people you like or people whose opinions are identical with yours. Shucks, that's easy, right? One another is everybody, period. Everybody. You know, God doesn't hate everybody I do or you do. (laughs) That's how you know you make God in your own image when he hates everybody you do. But he doesn't. So until we open our eyes to the fact that defining, the defining characteristic of the Christian life is love, we're going to be ineffective in fulfilling the call of God in our lives. This goes for us as individuals and for us as a church. That's why I've said over and over, we're a church of inclusion. We are not a Republican Party church or a Democratic Party church or a black church or a white church or a Hispanic. Get 
Grow up, for God's sake. There's no Jew, no Gentile, no bond, no free, no Democrat, no Republican, no Caucasian, no African American, no Hispanic in Christ. And he says, you are one in Christ. You got all that trash out of a natural birth. And that puts you in Adam. And in Adam, all die. Black die, white die, Hispanic die, Asian die. You must be born again of the Spirit, and that's a spiritual birth. That's why that we come together as one body, not one race, not one political party, but one body by the commandment of Jesus. I don't know how I could have the intelligence of a kumquat or a sweet potato and figure this out. Jesus tore up the disciples and everybody else because of his inclusion. And yet, we still do it today. Still do it. You were raised in that culture. They put the fingerprints all over you, and you haven't been washed with the water of the Word and changed anything. That's sad. That's what transformation is supposed to be. Change the way you think. Change the way you approach something and get into agreement with God, and usually it'll be uncomfortable. Usually it will. It's okay if I tell you it's uncomfortable. I don't like apologizing to my wife. It's uncomfortable. But it does help the marriage, okay? <laughs> Can I get an amen out there? The command to love one another is non-negotiable. And we need to open our eyes to this. He's already told me the world's going to hate me. And all of you get all bent out of shape and get a wedgie because, whoa, they're against Christianity. Whoa, that group doesn't like Christianity. Well, of course they don't. They're backed by the, an evil spirit, and the evil spirit knows that God's spirit is going to do a lot of good, and so there's a war. We're born into warfare. I know that. What's the big news about that? Why don't we raise up some kids to get some degrees in something besides psychology and basket weaving and phys ed and do something like Jeff Bezos and Zuckerbook or whatever his name is and uh, Gates and these other guys who started in a garage and didn't even go to college, didn't graduate from college, didn't have a silver spoon in their mouth, and became billionaires, and now they have impact, whether it's bad or good, all over the world because of their power and influence. And I'm thinking, how don't, why don't we have Christians that own major businesses? Why don't we have a Christian that owns Amazon or, or whatever, I don't know, Facebook? You see, we want to gripe about what these other billionaires do in their negative, unchristian uh, experience, and yet... We, you know, Christians are just happy to sing and uh, build me a cabin in the glo in glory or something, or I'll fly away. And I wish most of them would because we're going nowhere until we build up people who take some power, build businesses, become a CEO of it, and make billions of dollars for the kingdom of God. You can't have influence broke. Scripture says no man listens to a poor man. Your opinion doesn't count. It may be right, but it doesn't count. And so instead of criticizing these guys who didn't have a silver spoon, who took a risk, PayPal, the guy, uh, oh, Elon Musk, yeah, with Tesla and all the rest of it. He and his college buddy started PayPal and became billionaire. You could do that. We need some risk takers in here that have some big dreams about pushing the envelope. Then we could have a little more influence. But if we just stay broke down like the Ten Commandments, broken or something, we're going to have nothing. All we do is sit back and I watch Christians criticize this guy and that in group and this other group instead of, why don't you do something about it? Yeah. 
You got a brain. You got the Holy Spirit. We ought to be the most creative people in the world. The Holy Spirit's unlimited in wisdom. Said, Lord, I just want a paycheck. No, heck, I want to own the business. Love includes. Hatred excludes. Love uses truth to promote, to assist, to nudge. Hatred uses truth to hurt and destroy. You can kill somebody with truth if you want to. Love sees future potential. Hatred will kill the dream. Love opens its arms. Hatred closes its heart. Love sees the world as a family. Hatred sees the world as a battlefield. So we also need to open our eyes to the needs of others. Living a life of love means that we learn to look beyond our little cocoon and recognize what's going on in the life of others around us. See, people who are in need, people who are hurting, sometimes don't feel comfortable talking about their pain or their need. They don't know how to share with others what they're going through. Now, the signs might be there, but they don't know how to come out and say, hey, my life is a wreck. I'm falling apart. I need help. Rarely do people say that. Maybe occasionally, but rarely is that true. Our challenge then in loving one another is to keep our eyes open to those around us so that we can see what's going on in their life, even when they're not able to come out and say it. You know, we've got people unemployed, people not working. Many people, their businesses have been, have been down and they've had to lay people off. And you want to go boasting about, well, we're remodeling the house and we're adding on to Don't do that. That's dumb while people are suffering. You know, perhaps you could do something to help, you know. In verse 17, John says, if anybody sees his brother in need, the key word is you see it, you take notice of it, that means our eyes are open. It means we're paying attention to what's going on around us, especially in the life of those that are our brothers and sisters. Love is always looking for the next opportunity to show love. That's why loving one another requires that we keep our eyes open. What do you see? You know, we just walk by need. as though it's, That's why we urge you to get in the connect group. That way you know what's happening with families or a marriage or with a child or with health in some way. And occasionally we're able to do something about it. See, loving one another requires that you take action. This is the second principle. Loving one another requires that you take action. Listen to what John said. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? He goes on to say, dear children, don't love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. Sometimes we think that if we feel bad enough about somebody's problem, well, that ought to make God happy. We think we've done our part, and we say something maybe like this, well, gee, brother, I hate that you're going through that, but I want you to know you're in my thoughts. <laughs> gee, I feel better already. Yeah. And if we're religious, we'll say, you're in my thoughts and in my prayer. In fact, you know, if they're in our prayer and we are interceding on their behalf, that's a good thing. It's a right thing to do. But usually if we're honest, when we say you're in my prayers and thoughts, the truth is they're barely in our thought at all. And when we walk away, we quickly forget about what they're going through. So here's what I'm saying. When people we know are going through a difficult time, well, of course, we ought to pray that God will meet their needs. And then we ought to be willing to do what we are able to do to answer that prayer. If you know somebody who's in need of a job, you can pray God will meet that need. 
And maybe you could make a phone call or two because you might just know somebody who knows somebody who can connect them with what they need. See, when God answers prayers, it's through people. You know, we took the offering a while ago. He says, give and it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give to you. When God blesses you, he blesses you through people. When Cindy and I were robbed a few years ago of every valuable possession, I've bought that woman in 40 years, and everything that was given to me for my, I don't know, 70th birthday or whatever it was, all gone. And we had, we had AT, what was it? ADT, yeah, who did nothing, uh, <laughs> but put a sign in the yard. And they were able to cut a hole in the glass and get in, blah, blah, blah. So we added cameras, and I knew, oh, this is going to be awful. We've lost a fortune, and it's irreplaceable. And I remember when the, when the Dominion security guy came to the door after putting eight cameras inside and outside of the property, I said, how much do I owe you? He said, oh, you don't owe me anything, Mr. Godwin. Your bill's been taken care of. Somebody, somebody got in on the deal and must have felt sorry for me, but they must have had some money too, because that wasn't cheap. And I remember thinking, wow, you know, it just, for, my, for, for me, it was like, oh, somebody lifted a truck off of me because I just lost everything. And now I've got to pay thousands of dollars for these cameras and, you know, that, that was good. Somebody had the resources, somebody had the heart, and somebody knew the need, and they made it go away. Have you ever made the need go away for another brother or sister when you could? You know, we've had people have hail damage. We have young couples in here that can't afford the, uh, what do you call it, the deductible. You could pay the deductible. For most of us, it wouldn't, it wouldn't cramp my style to do that, but it would take a big load off a young couple barely surviving, both of them working together, right? Sure. I remember in Savannah, Georgia, I'm going down memory road here. Cindy and I were on staff in a church, and I just bought a new Chevrolet. I forget what it was, but it was a real nice new. It was in the 70s, a Chevrolet. And one of my best friends that was in my young adult class is a, is a, a, worked for Mosler. He put security systems in all over the city and banks. He was a fantastic electrician, and he fixed everything we had. We'd have steak dinner. He'd come over. He'd rewire, fix something all the time. Great friendship. He had four or five kids, little kids, I don't know. And he had the ugliest, god-awful car I've ever seen in my life. It was hand-painted blue, light puke blue. He had a wire holding the trunk down. It had 200,000 miles on it. It was a wreck. Now, my kids and our young kids have, have words for this kind of a car, but it was a piece of tin. Now, I didn't say tin, but it was a piece of junk. And he was going to Chicago to visit their parents with those four or five kids in that oil-dripping guzzler. And now, this is my friend. Now, I don't, you wouldn't do this for a stranger. But I thought to myself, I just got a new Chevrolet, and he ain't going to make it to Chicago in that piece of junk. And he's going to have that wife and all those kids on the side of the road. This shouldn't happen. And I re I, the Lord just beating me up. So I gave him my car. So you take my car and go to Chicago. And I took his piece of junk. And I lived on an island with a golf community. And I, back then, you had to wear a coat and tie. 
Back then, in business and church, you had to wear a coat and a tie. So I'd flew airplanes, and I would fly the pastor somewhere and get in at 2 or 3 in the morning, and then I'd have to drive out to Skidaway Island, where I lived, in that piece of junk. Looked like Uncle Buck with that smoke coming out of it. And I got stopped by the police twice for suspicion of drugs being smuggled in because of that car. <laughs> but I... I felt such joy being able to know they're going to be safe, they're going to be okay. It was a small thing, but I'm just showing you how we can help each other occasionally as a need arises when someone's going through. Maybe you can refer them somewhere. We had another family, a single mom with a child that needed an MRI. It was $3,000. I turned to Dr. Rocha, and I told him the need. He said, I'll make a phone call. It was $300 to make a phone call. We have connections. We have people. You can meet the needs of somebody. Love takes action. doesn't say, oh, I'll be praying for her. I'm sorry to hear that. That ain't helping anybody. Maybe you can just buy groceries for the week, one week for them or something. Maybe that wouldn't bankrupt most of us, but you could do something. You could just do something. If you know somebody going through hell or, or a health crisis, well, pray. But maybe you could also, if it's not COVID, you could visit or you would send flowers, a lovely card. If you know somebody whose life is spinning out of control, somebody who's lost their way, somebody struggling with despair, well, you do want to pray for them, but maybe you could offer to babysit, mow the yard, take them out for dinner, speak words of encouragement, lots of things you could do. My point is love is by Jesus. He said love is expressed through what we do. Love gives. John three sixteen. God so loved, he said, gee, I'm really sorry about your problem. No, for God so loved, he gave his only begotten son. Love is an action. When Jesus said that we are to love one another, he wasn't saying, these are the feelings I want you to have. He was saying, these are the actions I want you to take. Well, if you don't believe me or the Bible, to paraphrase Forrest Gump's mother, love is as love does. Love requires action on our part. And last, number three, loving one another requires that you make a sacrifice. And every husband ought to know about this. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought then lay down our lives for our brothers. October 20th, 2009, a suicide bomber entered the women's campus of Islamabad's International Islamic University. He shot the guard on duty, made his approach towards the cafeteria, packed with hundreds of female students. The janitor on duty that day was a young man, there's his picture, Pervaz Massif. It was his first week on the job. His salary was less than $60 a month. Pervez intercepted the bomber in the doorway and prevented him from going further. The terrorist then detonated his device, that pack they carry, suicide pack, and it killed the janitor and three other people. If he had made it into the cafeteria, the damage would have been horrific. The twist on this story is that Pervez was a Christian. In Pakistan, believers are in the minority and traditionally are among the poorest communities. But this man came to be considered a hero. He gave his life to save the lives of hundreds of female students. As one professor said, he rose above the barriers of caste, creed, sectarian terrorism. And despite being a Christian, he sacrificed his life to save the Muslim girls. You think that'll make a difference yeah. versus a track yeah. or a Facebook post? 
As one of the students said shortly after the attack, he is now a legend to us. What a great story. What a great man. The fact is that most likely none of us will ever be called upon to make such a sacrifice. But I'll tell you what you will be called upon to do. You'll be called upon to sacrifice maybe not your life, but your time, your money, your attention. You sacrifice your day off. Maybe your vacation plans. Maybe it's a purchase you wanted to make. You might even have to sacrifice some level of comfort all for the love of another. In the book of Philippians, Paul said this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only after your own interests, but also the interests of others. Philippians 2, verse 3 and 4. Now, when he said this, he was saying, in effect, this is what it looks like to love one another. You look out for one another, and you're even willing to put your own wants and needs on the back burner for the good of someone else. And remember Ephesians 6, 8, what you make happen for others, God will make happen for you. You're sowing into your own future. Right? Okay, all throughout, all throughout the New Testament, we're told again and again, love one another, love one another, love one another. And boy, we mess that one up, don't we? You know, and it's not with a second-rate, off-brand kind of a love. No, no. We're to love one another with the same kind of sacrificial love with which we love Jesus. You know, once when Jesus was speaking of the final judgment, he told a story of how in that day, how things would be. And he said that there would be those to him, the king would say, then the king will say to those on the right hand, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. I needed clothes, you clothed me. I was sick, you look after me. I was in prison, you came to visit me. Then the righteous will say to him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and fed you? When did we see you thirsty and gave you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? When did we see you needing clothes and we clothed you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? Then the king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did it for me. Matthew 25. Jesus made it clear that our expression or love for others reflects the extent of our love for God. We are to love one another in the same non-negotiable way that we strive to love Him. A love that expresses itself through what we do, even to the point of sacrifice. This is the message, John said, the command you've heard from the beginning, we are to love one another. Let our lives then be a focus, totally focused, expressing God's love at every opportunity that we have. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit summitsa.com dot com.